thank you to Mike and Amy, and don't forget that tonight we will be having a membership service, and also we will have a short time of installation for Pastor Mike and in his new role and responsibilities in our church. Well, this morning, I would like to continue on in our study of what it means that Christ is in you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as someone who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what does it mean that Christ is in you? And it has everything to do with your Christian life and your Christian walk. And so if we are to learn what it means to be a disciple, we need to understand this biblically. This is the third of four messages that I am doing just on this topic. That's how important I believe it is. There is so much here. We are focusing on verses 27 through 29. We are specifically focusing on seven words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me read Colossians 1 verses 24 through 29. The Apostle Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, to these saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Well, our first point this morning is mature in Christ. When we understand those seven powerful words, Christ in you, the hope of glory, then verse 28 can be understood in a whole new light. In, excuse me, him, Jesus Christ, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now the majority of the time when you would ask a believer what does it mean to be mature in Christ, and this has everything to do with this morning's message, we would almost always automatically focus on outward behavior. If you're mature in Christ, you're a good husband, you're a good wife, you're a good father, you're a good mother, you're a good employee, you're a good citizen. You go to church, you read your Bible, you pray. 
you're involved in small group Bible studies, and all of those things are wonderful things. But I want to challenge all of us this morning that is not necessarily what is meant by mature in Christ. It is not the foundational thought here in verse 28. I really want to challenge our thinking this morning. Here is what I believe it means to be mature in Christ. To be mature in Christ means to be so in love with Christ and to be so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. To be mature in Christ, and we're to present everyone mature in Christ, means that we are to be so in love with Jesus, to be so consumed with Jesus, that his resurrection life that resides in us transforms who we are and how we live. Now, last week, I spent a lot of time talking about, and I really appreciated the feedback that I have received this week. We talked about how Christians tend to lead these helter-skelter lives doing all the things that Christians are supposed to do, but doing it in their own power and in their own strength. I want to challenge us with a different thought as we begin this morning. I think this is one of the reasons, not the only reason. I think this is one of the reasons this misunderstanding of what it means to be mature in Christ It is why some young men and some young women grow up in a church like ours where they are taught the word of God from the time they are small then get into their 20s or 30s and fall away or walk away from the faith. We have this idea that if we just teach the right truths, they'll never fall away. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm all for teaching the right truths. I think that is at the core of the church. However, however, each and every boy and girl in this church that will grow up to be young men and young women must make that, must make the faith, the Christian faith, their own. It cannot just be mom and dad's faith. It has to be their own faith. And if they don't see that the heart and soul and core of the Christian life is to be in love and consumed with Jesus, with his power coursing through us, there is a chance that they will someday get to a point where they say, this just doesn't work, this just doesn't make sense to me, and they walk away. And moms and dads, if they're not seeing that you're in love with Jesus, that you're consumed with Jesus, they may wonder why it's supposed to be important in their lives. So, Last week, we looked extensively at verses 26 and 27. This morning, we're really focusing in on verse 28. Him, 
Jesus Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The responsibility of the church is to present its people mature in Christ. That's what we're striving for. We are preaching, we are teaching at every level, from the nursery all the way up to the oldest ages, in small group Bible studies, in one-on-one -on -one fellowship and mentoring and discipleship. The goal, the goal, the goal is to present people mature in Christ. And so we warn everyone and we teach everyone. Let's take them one at a time. We are to warn everyone that you are to be mature in Christ. And here's the warning. Here's the warning. Do not try to live the Christian life in the strength and power of your flesh. Here's the warning that goes out to all of us from the New Testament. Do not, do not try to live the Christian life in the strength and power of the flesh. Here's a scary thought this morning. Here's a very scary thought. An unbeliever can appear to be living a good Christian life. Someone who is not actually born again, whose spirit has never been what we term, or the New Testament terms, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, it is possible for them to appear that they are living a good Christian life. They have the appearance of being a good father, a good husband, a good church member, a good community member. A number of years ago, as some of you know, I preached through the book of Revelation. And when we came to chapter 20, we have that frightening scene called the Great White Throne Judgment when all the unbelievers of all time will stand before Christ and, anyone's, and anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of the book of Revelation. They are thrown, ESV. They are thrown, NIV. They are thrown into the lake of fire. When I preached on that subject, I said to you, there is a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that I believe is the scariest passage in the Bible. And to this day, I still believe it. It is Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. Jesus says this. These are the words of his own lips. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I, Jesus, will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow. Wow. 
This isn't something that might happen. He's telling us what is going to happen. There are going to be people who call Jesus Lord, who from their perspective prophesied, proclaimed the truth in his name, drove out demons in his name, and performed miracles in his name. And they are going to stand before him one day, and he will tell them plainly, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. Away from me, you evildoers. If that doesn't scare you, it should. Sometimes, in a healthy, biblical way, we need to be scared. We need to make sure that we are truly born again of the Spirit of God. There is a different aspect of this, though, that I want to focus on this morning. Even as those who are born again, who have truly received the Spirit of God, many Christians understand the biblical ideas, the, excuse me, the biblical ideals taught in Scripture, but are trying to achieve them on their own. And that's really been the focus this month. That we know what it's supposed to look like from Scripture, but we try to get there on our own rather than in the power and strength of the one who lives in us, Jesus Christ. So we're trying to do the outward things. We're trying to become better parents, a better spouse, a better church member, a better community member, a better influence in the community, but we're doing it in our own flesh, in our own strength, without really seeing that our all-consuming, most important goal is to be transformed by Christ within. A couple of weeks ago, I shared a quote with you from David Platt. He's one of the sources that I'm using in this series. He's written extensively on this subject. Let me give you another quote from him. He says, I am convinced that it is possible to do all the good things that a Christian does and yet still miss out on what it means for Christ to transform the core of who we are. It is possible to do all the good things that a Christian is supposed to do and still miss out on what it means for Christ to transform the core of who you are. To be mature in Christ means to be so in love with Christ and so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. So, we are to warn everyone, but we are also to teach everyone with all wisdom. Verse 28 tells us that we are not only to warn everyone, we are also to teach everyone with all wisdom. 
Okay, so we warn on the one hand and we teach on the other. And we teach this truth. Here is a key truth of the gospel. It is that Christ took your sinful nature when you received him as Savior. He took your sinful nature and he crucified it and in its place he put himself. That is a key truth in the gospel. That Christ crucified your sinful nature and in its place he put himself. God put the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the spiritual nature inside of you, which is Christ in you. For many years throughout the history of the church, this has been known as the exchanged life. Our old sinful nature is crucified and in its place, Jesus Christ comes to live in us. You know this. If you read the New Testament, you know this. A key chapter in this teaching is Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, verses 24 and 25, Paul writes, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And the goal now is to live by the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, which is a synonym for Christ in you because Christ lives in you by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and now we're to keep in step with the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit, which is a sermon in itself, simply means to submit to the Spirit, to yield to the Spirit, to surrender to the Spirit, to cooperate with the Spirit, to let the Spirit flow in its power, in its Christ in you power, in and through you. Now, let me give you the preceding verses in Galatians 5, and they are verses that many of you are very familiar with. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, or excuse me, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, forgive me this morning. I'm going to tell you the obvious. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me this morning? It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not the fruit of your human effort. It is not the fruit of your human striving, ingenuity, or strategy. It is a fruit that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means? It means someone without the Holy Spirit can't produce this fruit. A Christian who is not relying on the Holy Spirit will not produce this fruit. Second thing I want you to notice. Did you notice that the fruit of the Spirit... They are all character qualities and not outward behaviors. 
Do you find that interesting this morning? The fruit of the Spirit is not, or excuse me, is character qualities rather than outward behaviors. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say, but the fruit of the Spirit is being a good man. But the fruit of the Spirit is being a good mother. But the fruit of the Spirit is being a good wife. The fruit of the Spirit is being a good person in the community or a good Bible study attender. It doesn't say that. Notice notice that it focuses on inward character qualities. Here is the thought, and please don't miss it. Our goal is not to strive for outward behavior, but for inward transformation that changes our outward behavior. Does that make sense to you this morning? Our goal is not to focus on the outward behaviors, but on the inward transformation of these character qualities in us that will change our outward behavior. So it always comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Very important here. If I were to choose one verse in the New Testament that is the parallel of Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If I were to pick one verse, it would also come from the book of Galatians. It is a verse that many of you have at least tried to memorize, and it is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's it. That's exactly what I am striving and hoping to convey to you all month long in this kind of mini-series within a series. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. And what it means is I no longer live in the power of my own strength and abilities and talents. But Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And now the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Christian life is not about us going out in our own strength and trying to defeat the sins and temptations that we struggle with. Oh, I got to stop lusting. Oh, I got to stop worrying. Oh, I got to stop being angry. Oh, I got to stop gossiping. Oh, I've got to quit this and I've got to quit that. That's not the goal of the Christian life. That's not the striving of the Christian life. Rather, we need to know that Christ has already accomplished his victory in us. We have victory over all those sins and temptations. Our goal is to live the life that Christ has already purchased for us, the life that is now in us. Our goal is to live the life that Christ has already purchased for us, the life that now dwells 
within us. Folks, this is like powerful stuff. It really is. When we grab a hold of this and what it means to our Christian life. And what I want to do now is just share the implications of this. I want to share with you, and our second point is two amazing results. There are more than two. There are far more than two. But these are two significant, amazing results of the fact that Jesus Christ lives in you. Amazing result number one. Now that Christ is in you, he is fulfilling his mission for the world through you. Now that Christ is in you, he is fulfilling his mission for the world through you. Wow. Oh my. Jesus Christ is fulfilling his mission on this earth through his church. And you are his church, and he is fulfilling his mission through you. Christ is displaying his glory to the world through his church. Christ is displaying his glory to the world through his church. We are Christ's ambassadors. It's not going to be on the screen, but I just go and study sometime 2 Corinthians 5.20, where Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. And then it says this. Don't miss it. God is making his appeal through you. Therefore, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's crazy stuff. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Through us. Therefore, we implore everyone on behalf of Christ, come to Jesus, be reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors to this community. We are Christ's ambassadors to our culture that we live in, to the nation we live in. And even more importantly, we are Christ's ambassadors to the nations. We are. We are supposed to be a picture of Christ to all those who are around us. Here's what it means. Here's what it means. We now long, we now long for people from every people group in the world to experience the supremacy and power of Christ living in them. We want people from every people group on this whole planet to know what we by the grace of God know that Jesus Christ came to live within us. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
one of John Piper's most famous quotes of all the quotes that people love to quote from John Piper. One of his most famous quotes is that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. God wants white-hot worshipers from every people group on the face of the earth. That's what he wants. He wants white-hot worshipers from every skin color, from every culture, from every language group. But let me tell you, folks, they can't worship him until he's in them. He cannot worship him, or they cannot worship him until he lives within them. So, we have Christian missionaries all over the world who are willingly suffering hardship and loss so that others might know the life-changing truth of Christ in you. We have sent them out to the farthest reaches of the world, to the remotest parts of the world, so they can tell people that to be saved in Christ means for Christ to come and live in you. They are not just going to the people of the world saying, come to Jesus so you won't go to hell. They're not just going to the people of the world saying, come to Jesus so your sins will be forgiven. And both of those things are extremely important. But they are going to the people of the people groups of the world to say, when you come to Jesus, he comes to live within you. He comes to possess you and you become his forever and ever. And missionaries are willing to suffer whatever hardship and loss they have to to get that message to the peoples of the world. Because Christ is fulfilling his mission for the world through us, through his church. And let me tell you, when we are willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel, we reveal how precious and valuable this truth is. When there are men and women and families who are willing to go to some of the most difficult parts of the world and suffer hardship and loss so they can take this message to them, people say this must be really important. Why would you come to us? Why would you give up the comforts and conveniences of your Western culture to come to us? Folks, right now, it is estimated there are a billion people on the face of the earth who have never, ever heard the gospel. And those remaining people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus live in some of the most difficult to get to places on earth. And in addition to that, most of those people groups don't want anything to do with the gospel. They're the remaining unevangelized, unreached peoples. And it's going to take people who believe this truth is so precious and so amazing that it is life itself. 
It is going to take people who are willing to risk everything to take this message to them, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is world missions. So first amazing result of Christ in you is that he is fulfilling his mission for the world through you. Second amazing result. Now that Christ is in you, you can be absolutely certain that the glory of heaven awaits you. Think about those seven words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't leave that off. The hope of glory. Now, the hope of glory is a multifaceted phrase. It means that we are to glorify God. It means that God is glorifying himself in the world through us. But its primary meaning, its first meaning, is that the glory of heaven awaits you. Christ in you, the hope of being in glory with God when you die, guaranteed. There is a doctrine, an important doctrine or teaching in the Christian faith called the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints is the biblical teaching that those who are truly born again, those who truly know Christ as Savior, they will persevere to the very end. They will not fall away. They will not abandon their faith. In Baptist circles, Historically, we have referred to this as eternal security or once saved, always saved. And when we think of those parts of the New Testament that teach this truth, don't leave this out. We don't often think of this as a verse on eternal security, but oh my, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It could be translated this way, Christ in you, the guarantee of your glory when you die. Let me tell you something wonderful this morning. If Jesus Christ lives in you, he's never going to leave you. He doesn't come and go. He stays with you forever and ever. Because Jesus Christ has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And Christ sealing you with his Holy Spirit guarantees that your salvation is eternally secure. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says this. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says, And you also, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed... You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, watch this, guaranteeing. It's the key word in this passage. Guaranteeing our inheritance. Your inheritance is your inheritance in heaven. Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You were included in Christ when you heard the gospel message and believed the gospel message. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who guarantees that you 
will go to heaven to be with him someday. You know what else is wonderful about this great assurance? This guarantee that we will be his forever. It means ultimately Satan cannot touch you because Jesus lives in you. Isn't that a great truth? Ultimately, Satan cannot touch you because Jesus lives in you. Oh yes, he can harass you. He can seek to oppress you. But ultimately, he cannot take you from Christ because Christ lives in you. Jesus is your protection from the assaults of the demonic world. Your protection is Jesus. Your protection is Jesus in you. I have said this before, and I'm not the only one who has taught this. Many Bible teachers have. I don't believe it is possible. I don't believe it is possible for a Christian to be demon-possessed. I don't think a Christian can be demon-possessed. Why? Because a demon and the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in the same body. A demon and Christ in you cannot dwell in the same body. There's a sense in which every time he comes to attack you, he has to come through Christ because Christ lives in you. As I shared with you last week, and I want to share again, I believe that one of Satan's greatest schemes is to keep you from knowing and understanding your identity in Christ and the fact that Christ lives in you. He wants to keep you so distracted, so busy, so focused on other things that you never really understand your identity in Christ, you never really understand that Christ lives in you. So let me say this to each and every one of us this morning. There is absolutely nothing, there is absolutely nothing that can happen to you in this world apart from the grace and mercy and love and power and sovereignty of God. Can't happen. There is nothing even death. There is nothing that can happen to you in this world apart from the grace and mercy and love and power and sovereignty of God. You are completely secure in Christ and you have nothing to fear. If we live in fear, it's because we do not understand who lives in us. You are completely secure in Christ and you have nothing to fear. No wonder, no wonder the Apostle Paul said, I am willing to die so that others might know the amazing truth of the gospel. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, my ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ has never been made known. No wonder he wanted everyone to hear about this amazing truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone 
and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To be mature in Christ means to be so in love with Christ and so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. One more thing and then we'll be done. I want to stimulate your thinking for next Sunday morning. I want you to already be thinking about the message next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, we're going to look at verse 29. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is what I want you to reflect and meditate on this week. It is possible to toil and to struggle with someone else's energy and power. It is possible to toil and struggle and to do it with the energy and power of someone else that you can go all out, give everything you have, but you're doing it with someone else's energy and someone else's power. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray together. Father, help us to wrap our hearts and minds around this powerful truth. Oh, Father, help us this week to be so in love with Jesus, to be so consumed with him and his preciousness that his resurrection life that lives in us transforms who we are and how we live. Oh, that may be, oh, that that may be true of each and every one of us. For we pray this in his name. Amen.